Chapter Six of the Gentle Grafter by O. Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leslie Walden. Chapter Six, The Exact Science of Matrimony. As I have told you before, said Jeff Peters, I never had much confidence in the perfidiousness of woman, as partners or co-educators in the most innocent line of graft. They are not trustworthy. They deserve the compliment, said I. I think they are entitled to be called the honest sex. Why shouldn't they be, said Jeff. They've got the other sex either grafting or working overtime for them. They're all right in business till they get their emotions or their hair touched up too much. Then you want to have a flat-footed, heavy-breathing man with sandy whiskers, five kids, and a building and loan mortgage ready as an understudy to take her desk. Now there was that widow lady that me and Andy Tucker engaged to help us in that little matrimonial agency scheme we floated out in Cairo. When you've got enough advertising capital, say a roll as big as the little end of a wagon tongue, there's money in matrimonial agencies. We had about six thousand dollars and we expected to double it in two months which is about as long as a scheme like ours can be carried on without taking out a New Jersey charter. We fixed up an advertisement that read about like this. Charming widow, beautiful, home-loving, thirty-two years, possessing three thousand dollars cash, and owning valuable country property, would remarry. Would prefer a poor man with affectionate disposition to one with means as she realizes that solid virtues are oftenest to be found in the humble walks of life. No objection to elderly man, or one of homely appearance, if faithful and true and competent to manage property, and invest money with judgment. Address with particulars, Lonely. Care of Peters and Tucker, Agents, Cairo, Illinois. So far so pernicious, says I, when we had finished the literary concoction. And now, says I, where is the lady? Andy gives me one of his looks of calm irritation. Jeff, says he, I thought you had lost them ideas of realism in your art. Why should there be a lady? When they sell a lot of watered stock on Wall Street, would you expect to find a mermaid in it? What has a matrimonial ad got to do with a lady? Now listen, says I, you know my rule, Andy that in all my illegitimate inroads against the legal letter of the law, the article sold must be existent, visible, producible. In that way, and by a careful study of city ordinances and train schedules, I have kept out of all trouble with the police that a five-dollar bill and a cigar would not square. Now, to work this scheme, we've got to be able to produce bodily a charming widow or its equivalent with or without the beauty, hereditaments, and appurtenances set forth in the catalogue and writ of errors, or hereafter be held by a justice of the peace. Well, says Andy, reconstructing his mind, maybe it would be safer in case the post office or the peace commission should try to investigate our agency. But where, he says, could you hope to find a widow who would waste time on a matrimonial scheme that had no matrimony in it? I told Andy that I thought I knew of the exact party, 
an old friend of mine, Zeke Trotter, who used to draw soda water and teeth in a tent show, had made his wife a widow a year before by drinking some dyspepsia cure of the old doctor's instead of the liniment that he always got boozed up on. I used to stop in at their house often, and I thought we could get her to work with us. "'Twas only sixty miles to the little town where she lived, so I jumped on the Illinois Central and finds her in the same cottage with the same sunflowers and roosters standing on the washtub. Mrs. Trotter fitted our ad first-rate, except maybe for beauty and age and property valuation. But she looked feasible and praiseworthy to the eye, and it was a kindness to Zeke's memory to give her the job. "'Is this an honest deal you're putting on, Mr. Peters?' she asks me when I tell her what we want. "'Mrs. Trotter,' says I, "'Andy Tucker and me have computed the calculation that three thousand men in this broad and unfair country will endeavor to secure your fair hand and ostensible money and property through our advertisement. Out of that number, something like thirty hundred will expect to give you, in exchange, if they should win you, the carcass of a lazy and mercenary loafer, a failure in life, a swindler, and a contemptible fortune-seeker. Me and Andy, says I, propose to teach these prayers upon society a lesson. It was with difficulty, says I, that me and Andy could refrain from forming a corporation under the title of the Great Moral and Millennial Malevolent Matrimonial Agency. Does that satisfy you? It does, Mr. Peters, says she. I might have known you wouldn't have gone into anything that wasn't appropriate. But what will my duties be? Do I have to reject personally these three thousand ramscallions you speak of? Or can I throw them out in bunches? Your job, Mrs. Trotter, says I, will be practically a sinecure. You will live at a quiet hotel and have no work to do. Andy and I will tend to all the correspondence and business end of it. Of course, says I, some of the more ardent and impetuous suitors who can raise the railroad fare may come to Cairo personally and press their suit or whatever fraction of a suit they may be wearing. In that case, you will probably be put to the inconvenience of kicking them out face to face. We will pay you twenty-five dollars per week and hotel expenses. Give me five minutes, says Mrs. Trotter, to get my powder rag and leave the front door key with a neighbor, and you can let my salary begin. So I conveys Mrs. Trotter to Cairo and establishes her in a family hotel far enough away from mine and Andy's quarters to be unsuspicious and available, and I tell Andy. Great, says Andy. And now that your conscience is appeased as to the tangibility and proximity of the bait, and leaving mutton aside, suppose we revenue a new fish. So we began to insert our advertisement in newspapers covering the country far and wide. One ad was all we used. We couldn't have used more without hiring so many clerks and Marcel paraphernalia that the sound of the gum-chewing would have disturbed the postmaster general. We placed $2,000 in a bank, to Mrs. Trotter's credit, and gave her the book to show in case anybody might question the honesty and good faith of the agency. I knew Mrs. Trotter was square and reliable, and it was safe to leave it in her name. With that one ad, Andy and me put in twelve hours a day answering letters. About one hundred a day was what came in. 
I never knew there were so many large-hearted but indigent men in the country who were willing to acquire a charming widow and assume the burden of investing her money. Most of them admitted that they ran principally to whiskers and lost jobs and were misunderstood by the world. But all of them were sure that they were so chock-full of affection and manly qualities that the widow would be making the bargain of her life to get them. Every applicant got a reply from Peters and Tucker, informing him that the widow had been deeply impressed by his straightforward and interesting letter, and requesting them to write again, stating more particulars, and enclosing photograph, if convenient. Peters and Tucker also informed the applicant that their fee for handing over the second letter to their fair client would be two dollars enclosed therewith. There you see the simple beauty of the scheme. About ninety percent of them domestic foreign noblemen raised the price somehow and sent it in. That's all there was to it, except that me and Andy complained an amount about being put to the troubles of slicing open them envelopes and taking the money out. Some few clients called in person. We sent them to Miss Trotter, and she did the rest except for three or four who came back to strike us for car fare. After the letters began to get in from the RFD districts, Andy and me were taking in about $200 a day. One afternoon when we were busiest and I was stuffing the two-and-ones into cigar boxes, and Andy was whistling no wedding bells for her, a small slick man drops in and runs his eye over the walls like he was on the trail of a lost Gainsborough painting or two. As soon as I saw him, I felt a glow of pride, because we were running our business on the level. "'I see you have quite a large mail today,' says the man. I reached and got my hat. "'Come on,' says I. "'We've been expecting you. I'll show you the goods. How was Teddy when you left Washington?' I took him down to the Riverview Hotel and had him shake hands with Mrs. Trotter. Then I showed him her bank book with the two thousand dollars to her credit. It seems to be all right, says the Secret Service. It is, says I, and if you're not a married man, I'll leave you to talk a while with the lady. We won't mention the two dollars. Thanks, says he. If I wasn't, I might. Good day, Mrs. Peters. Toward the end of the three months we had taken in something over five thousand dollars, and we saw it was time to quit. We had a good many complaints made to us, and Mrs. Trotter, seemed to be tired of the job. A good many suitors had been calling to see her, and she didn't seem to like that. So we decides to pull out, and I goes down to Mrs. Trotter's hotel to pay her last week's salary, and say farewell, and get her check for the two thousand dollars. When I got there, I found her crying like a kid that doesn't want to go to school. Now, now, says I, what's it all about? Somebody sassed you? Are you getting homesick? No, Mr. Peters, says she, I'll tell you. You was always a friend of Zeke's, and I don't mind. Mr. Peters, I'm in love. I just love a man so hard I can't bear not to get him. He's just the ideal I've always had in mind. Then take him, says I. That is, if it's a mutual case. Does he return the sentiment according to the specifications and painfulness you have described? He does, says she, but he's one of the gentlemen that's been coming to see me about the advertisement, and he won't marry me unless I give him the two thousand dollars. 
His name is William Wilkinson. And then she goes off again with the agitations and hysterics of romance. Mrs. Trotter, says I, there ain't no man more sympathizing with a woman's affection than I am. Besides, you was once the life partner of one of my best friends. If it was left to me, I'd say take this two thousand dollars and the man of your choice and be happy. We could afford to do that because we had cleaned up over five thousand dollars from these suckers that wanted to marry you. But, says I, Andy Tucker is to be consulted. He is a good man, but keen in business. He is my equal partner financially. I will talk to Andy, says I, and see what can be done. I goes back to our hotel and lays the case before Andy. I was expecting something like this all the time, says Andy. You can't trust a woman to stick by you in any scheme that involves her emotions and preferences. It's a sad thing, Andy, says I, to think that we've been the cause of the breaking of a woman's heart. It is, says Andy, and I'll tell you what I'm willing to do, Jeff. You've always been a man of soft and generous heart and disposition. Perhaps I've been too hard and worldly and suspicious. For once I'll meet you halfway. Go to Mrs. Trotter and tell her to draw the two thousand dollars from the bank and give it to this man she's infatuated with and be happy. I jumps up and shakes Andy's hand for five minutes, and then I goes back to Mrs. Trotter and tells her, and she cries as hard for joy as she did for sorrow. Two days afterward, me and Andy packed up to go. Wouldn't you like to go and meet Mrs. Trotter once before we leave? I asks him. She'd like mightily to know you and expressed her encomiums and gratitude. Why, I guess not, says Andy. I guess we'd better hurry and catch that train. I was strapping our capital around me in a memory belt, like we always carried it, when Andy pulls a roll of large bills out of his pocket and asks me to put them with the rest. What's this, says I? It's Mrs. Trotter's two thousand, says Andy. How do you come to have it, I asks. She gave it to me, says Andy. I've been calling on her three evenings a week for more than a month. Then you are William Wilkinson, says I. I was, says Andy. End of chapter 6